Hi, this is Danny Klein-Modisette, and this is the Afterbirth Podcast, featuring real stories about raising kids that you're not going to read in a parenting magazine. Here's a story by writer-producer Lou Schneider called The Sacrifice. It was recorded at the M Bar in Hollywood, California in 2009. Thanks, everybody. <clears throat> what a pleasure. Um, before I begin, <coughs> I always cough for good luck. Um, before I begin, I should say that it, this is courageous of me um, because uh, I'm doing something no one else on the show is doing tonight. Uh, I'm doing this in front of my mom. Yeah, uh, <coughs> my mother right here, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it's not just any mother. This mother is a uh, licensed clinical social worker, um, which means that when I'm done reading this to you, she will be reading into it for the rest of her visit. Um, so we're going to be going over and over, discussing why did you feel the need? You don't have to answer, but think for a moment. Just think about how it feels to other people. I, 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 I mean, this is a little bit of old lame stand-up. Not that part, this part that's coming up. Um, I was raised by psychiatric social workers, which is impossible. When I was eight, I came home, I was crying, and I'd been punched in the face, and I said, Billy groped me, punched me in the face, he gave me a fat lip. My dad says, all right, do you know why Billy Gropeman punched you in the face? Because he's uncomfortable with himself. Because <laughs> he has low self-esteem. You know. So here we go, Ma. Um, <clears throat> this is called The Sacrifice. So much of parenting experience is sacrifice. From the moment your first child is born, you begin to lose yourself. You eat on someone else's schedule. You sleep on someone else's schedule. You shower on someone else's schedule. It's like you're in jail, but you love the warden. As your kids grow, you continually forego your immediate gratification in exchange for, future, for a future benefit or important lesson. And as parents, we must be willing to give up something precious to help our children learn to navigate a complex and often unforgiving world. One fine day, this feels less like stand-up if I say things like one fine day. One fine day, I had taken my son Marty, who was about three at the time, to do errands in Santa Monica. At this point, he was in the early months of wearing big boy underpants. I was pretty vigilant about taking him to the bathroom before leaving the house or getting in the car. And so, as we were getting ready to leave a store, I said, Marty, how about you go pee? He said that he didn't have to. I told him that we weren't going to be home for a little while and maybe he should just try. He seemed pretty adamant about not having to pee and since he was always fairly compliant and usually did go under these circumstances, I thought, well, maybe he's at the point where he knows his own body. We went back to the parking garage, and before taking the elevator up to the car, I asked again, do you want to go here? They have a bathroom. I even sold it a little. I said, like, come on, it's cool. They got a, it's a garage with a bathroom, you know. <laughs> again, he claimed he didn't have to go, and I said, okay. Thought to myself, okay, fine, he doesn't have to. I got him into his car seat, and we started, we pulled out, we started winding our way down the ramp, and I had gone about 12 feet, or just far enough to lose my parking space to the car driven by the guy who had been idling there, blinker on, giving me the stink eye while I was buckling Marty into his seat, when my little angel says, I have to pee. 
Stealing one of my wife Liz's favorite lines, I called out nervously, tell the pee to stay in. I heard him whisper, stay in, pee. I assured him somewhat desperately, we'll find a bathroom. Then I started to admonish him through gritted teeth. Sweetie, I asked if you had to go, and now <laughs> we really aren't in a good place to go, and now you have to go, and there really isn't a place to go now. I don't know exactly what response I wanted from him at that point. An apology for my inconvenience would have been very mature, but a real long shot. He just whimpered, I have to go. By then I had reached the street and dreading the prospect of pulling a urine-soaked car seat cover off and doing the laundry and we're still re-threading the seat harness straps back through the whole thing, which is easily a 45-minute job for me. I just pulled quickly into a Bank of America parking lot and since it was Sunday, the bank was closed, so I parked quickly and jumped out to get Marty. Tell the P to stay in. Tell the P to stay in, I continued to chant. Marty whispered, stay in, P. <laughs> in his most serious tone as I yanked him from the car. In an instant, I had him standing on a low cement wall and I pulled his shorts and his big boy underpants down and sighed happily. Way to go, pal, go ahead. I felt so relieved at that moment, it was like I was peeing. I know, by the way, that you can't just pee in public. I myself have been traumatized by a mother who believed that if you were little, it was just fine to pee outside in nature. <laughs> She, we'd be on an outing and I would have to go and she would point to a bush or a tree or a patch of grass or the most naturey feature of the landscape and say, go over there. I would sort of sneak off very self-consciously and look back to see her urging me on, go ahead, go ahead, no one can see, no one can see. I would then look over my shoulder at people who were looking right at me and think, I can see them. I would even say as much, and my mother's answer was, well, no one is interested. <laughs> Later on, as I developed a real working relationship with my own penis, I came to understand that in a way she was right. <laughs> but anyway, in this case, I was desperate, and I'd saved myself a lot of aggravation. At just that moment, a Santa Monica mounted police officer, in this case, mounted on a bike, arrived. He debiked and very sternly informed me that this wasn't okay. I knew it wasn't. I really knew. I had done everything short of letting Marty pee in his pants to avoid the situation. I was desperate. By now Marty was done and I pulled up his pants. The cop was explaining that, that I or we had broken the law and that we would have to face the consequences. At this point I had to defend myself and I did. At Marty's expense. Up to this point in his life, I'd always tried to be there to comfort, console, or nurture. But faced with the awesome display of power, albeit in lycra bike shorts, that the state was bringing to bear upon me, I caved. I declared, I told him, officer. I swear to God. I said, do you have to pee? And he said, no. Tell him you said that, Marty. When we were at Restoration Hardware, I said, let's try to go and pee. And you wouldn't. He wouldn't, officer. And then again in the garage, where the whole place smells like pee. I asked again, and he said, no, again, you did, Marty. You did. I yammered on about how I thought we could make it home, but the cop continued, uh, well, he just can't pee on things. I toyed with the idea of saying that as a Bank of America customer, I'm sure they wouldn't mind. <laughs> the cop seemed to be reaching for his citation book or maybe his gun. <laughs> as I kicked it into high gear and practically shouted, that's right, officer. That's right, he can't. Tell him. Tell him what happens when you break the law. 
I moved right next to the cop, and we faced Marty as a united front. Marty looked up like Oliver Twist right as he was about to ask for gruel. The, the officer was paralyzed. He looked, he looked down at the lad and then at me as I shook my finger at Marty, who was surely going to learn a very valuable lesson. The cop drew a deep breath and stammered something about how he, he couldn't do this, <laughs> but that I should try not to let it happen again. Then he saddled up and rode off. I was still shaking a little as I led Marty back to the car. He seemed a little uneasy around me for a while after that. <laughs> Replaying the event over in my head, I often think about how I might have handled it some other way. Should I have defended Marty? Or should I have taken the heat? Should I have argued with the cop or pleaded for leniency? Nope. I handled that one exactly right. No. No, no, no. Aligning my, myself with the cop was a stroke of genius. I beat a pretty stiff ticket and certainly avoided the hassle of appearing in court to plead my case. I may have saved our lives. I'm telling you, that cop seemed like he was itching to shoot somebody. And you know what? Marty's fine. He retoilet trained himself. He's now 17, and at, a and at a little more than six foot two, he towers over me. I read this to him, and he laughed hard at the memory. Then he got a little contemplative. <laughs> and I could just tell. I, I could tell by the way he looked at me that he got it. Sometimes sacrifices have to be made. Thank you very much. For more information about Afterbirth, the live show, the book, or the podcast, please visit www.afterbirthstories.com. Thanks. <laughs>